Hi, this is David Orlovsky, and welcome to the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Thank you very much. Thank you, really. <laughs> yeah, and uh, whether you're watching on TorahAnyTime.com or on YouTube, or you're listening on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, it is such a pleasure to have you here for episode 19. 19. We are moving along. And there are people who I know follow this. I've gotten so many different emails. People say, I, I use this when I, when I uh, clean up after Shabbos, because, you know, it's usually released already on Saturday night, you know. And I use this when I clean up for Shabbos. Some people wait till Friday so that it's their, you know, adds to their own Shabbos. And uh, it's amazing how uh, this affects so many different people. Um, you know, I did it as sort of a throwaway thing where I put in, like, you know, some of my mother's recipes. And uh, I get this great email from this girl. She says, look, I go to college, I work, you know, and I'm Spartic. And every dish that I make takes 20 hours, you know, <laughs> like 100 steps. I didn't even know there was a concept of it's easy, stupid, you know. <laughs> and I started making dishes and it changed my life. <laughs> So it's amazing you give out these easy recipes who know that they're really changing people's lives. So this was my this was one of my mom's favorites. It was Chinese rice. She used to make it as a as a dinner in and of itself. We we make it as a side dish, but it's a dinner by itself. Uh, make two cups of rice, and then uh, brown uh, in the frying pan a uh, a pound of of uh, ground beef, chopped meat, and. Uh, I don't remember it being this, uh, this greasy in America, but in Israel, I pour off the extra grease. Wait for the rice to cool. This is, this is a trick, yeah? And then um, I, would, I would say scramble up about eight eggs, and I'd mix them together into the rice. I'd chop up, uh, I'd say like five scallions, chop it up, mix it in, add soy sauce. Unbelievable. First of all, it's a meal in itself. And it's unbelievably delicious, and it's so easy to make. So that's what I'm here for as a public service. Yeah. Um, my mother taught me how to cook. I told you there were six boys, and there were, we had no gender-appropriate jobs in my house. You know, um, my wife, on the other hand, was raised to be a scholar. Yeah, see, my my mother-in-law didn't let her in the kitchen. So uh, when she got married, she had to learn how to cook. You know, and I already knew how to cook, so it was like a little bit of a uncomfortable situation. But I would sometimes look through cookbooks for easy recipes. I looked at one and I said to my wife, you would never make this. And she got offended. How do you know I would never make this? So I said, okay, I'll read it to you. Crack the almonds, blanch the almonds, peel the almonds, sliver the almonds, brown the almonds. She says, okay, just stop there. <laughs> if there's five steps already just in the preparation of the almonds and I'm not making it, and frankly, neither would I. That's not how my mother raised me. <laughs> It's easy, stupid. That's got to be the uh, principle. And if it takes too much work and too much time, you know. Somebody once showed me they had this uh, uh, cookbook for seminary girls who come to Israel. You know, not all the seminaries give you three meals a day. Sometimes you have to do your own cooking, you know. So a lot of these girls never cooked. So it gives them, like, easy recipes, you know. So I just remember one easy potato kugel. Uh, go to my colet, buy a potato kugel. <laughs> Can't get much easier than that. So, Baruch Hashem, look at the look at the wonderful things that we're 
providing for everybody. Uh, this week is sponsored by Anonymous. And uh, as a schus for the donors, and they wrote a little note, keep inspiring us. It is such a pleasure. Um, I've mentioned this before. I cannot tell you what a schus it is for me that people are listening to me. Uh, so this week is sponsored uh, anonymously as a schus for the donors. They wrote a little note, keep inspiring us. And I know I've mentioned this before. Uh, I can't begin to tell you what a schus it is for me to have so many people listening to this podcast. Um, it's conservatively 5,000 people. I can, I can figure out that much from the various numbers, but people tell me they put it on their WhatsApp group and it goes over here and people watch it there. I don't know how many people are really watching this. But I have to tell you that Ertzrel is filled with retired rabbis who would give anything for the chance to be able to have people listening to them. You see people who were in America and they were, had a big position in Chinuch or in Rabbanus and they come to Ertzrel. They give a share between Mincha Mayuf to three old men. One is dead, one, one's asleep, the third one is deaf, you know. And their whole day just reflects around this, this shear, you know. And oh, yeah, I was singing my shear today, you know, telling people, you know. And the fact that I have a schus, that I just sit here and talk, and that there are people who are willing to spend time from their day and listen to me is something that is so tremendous. And the fact that there are people who are willing to sponsor it to be able to make this possible for people. And like I say, we keep working to upgrade the, the Rabbi Olavsky show experience. And, um, you know, one of the greatest things that, involve, that exists in Klai Yisrael, now that we're already into Adar Aleph, yeah, one of the greatest things that inspires Klai Yisrael, I think, is a well-done Purim spiel. Because I had somebody once, I give a Sherry of the Motzi Shabbos here in Harnov, and uh, somebody said to me once, he was a professional storyteller, interestingly enough. He was a, um, a lawyer, and he gave up his practice to become a storyteller. <laughs> he travel around telling stories. Eventually, he found his way to Israel. He was in yeshiva. And he used to come to my Moshe Shavash and he said something to me. He's English. He said, I feel like you hold up a funhouse mirror to life. You see yourself, but you're distorted just enough that you have to laugh, yeah? And, uh, and that's, that's true, that is what I try to do, yeah? I try to, to put it that way. So that's what a Purim play is. A Purim play lets you see yourself and, and society through a slightly distorted lens, and if it's done well, it's such an effective tool in Klaiusville's arsenal to be able to get people to see and hear things that they otherwise couldn't. Um, uh, Shaman Shadron used to say, you know, he, he used to tell a lot of jokes when he would speak, you know, and he'd say, because you want a little kid to take their medicine, you make them laugh, and then you strip it in when they're laughing, you know. He said, that's what I try to do. If I want to get the Musa in, you know, you have to get it in uh, with, a, with a little laugh, you know, and uh, you strip it into the, uh, to the laughter. So, uh, I mean, there was a very Choshva Rabbitson who used to give over some very strong ideas. And one of the women who went to her shir told us some of the things I had said in the shir recently. She says, how does he get away with saying things like that? If I did, they would kill me. And, um, and she says, well, he's funny. <laughs> and so if you're funny, you get all the way with a lot more because people would think, well, maybe he's just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I saw them do me. One guy did me in the porn play, uh, Rabbi Katz, Rabbi Moshe Katz. Yeah, he, today he's a 
master mechanic, but in my day, he was, uh, he was born in the yeshiva. In any event, he, um, he was doing me in the Purim play, and he did this thing where he was going through this whole thing, and then he stops and he goes like this. And the whole place laughs. I had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. And he did it a few times, and each time I got a big laugh. So I asked somebody, I said, what's that? He goes, you do that all the time. And I said, no, I don't. So next time I was in Shia, I was in the middle of talking about something, etc. And then I stopped, and I went like this. And the guy says, there. I said, oh my gosh, you're right. And I realized it's because there is a method to my madness. When I, when I uh, say things, and I'm doing stuff, I try to decide, I don't want this to become late sonus. I don't want this to become holos. I'm not doing this just to tell jokes. Yeah? I feel so bad for comedians. It's got to be the worst job in the world. Because you walk up there on the stage, and you start telling jokes, and if people don't laugh, you're finished. What do you do? You're up there for 10 minutes, you've got a set for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and nobody's laughing. What do you do? I don't have that problem. I can always fall back on Torah. <laughs> Worst comes to worse. If the jokes don't go, I can always, you know, I can always do some Torah, you know? One of my Talmudim was helping me prepare a sheer once. And he found some measures. He goes, that's it. You know, you're basically done. He goes, now just add some jokes and stories and you should be fine. <laughs> but there's, there's a method to it that I try to have. Um, somebody, uh, this this. This girl in uh, Neve, Yerushalayim, she came home and she said to me, the next week she says, I came home from Yeshir and I said it over to my husband. I said, very nice. She says, you don't understand, I've never been able to tell over a shir. I can't remember shiurim. But I remember jokes and stories. And if you can remember jokes and stories, you can recreate your shir because the jokes and stories tie everything together. I thought that was fascinating. Um, so... Uh, so uh, being, being that, uh, taking that into account, right, I, I try to filter what I'm saying. Nonetheless, there have been people who have said to me over the years, you know, I feel like you stop and you think, is this appropriate? And regardless of what you come up with, you say it anyway. <laughs> now, there is a certain amount of truth to that, I will, I will admit. Yeah? There, there are times that there's a little voice in my head saying, no, no, don't do this <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and I have gotten into trouble over the years. It's true. It's true. There are, there are a bunch of people out there who are unhappy with me and uh, don't like me and people who've stopped talking to me. And that's just in my immediate family. When you go out into the extended uh, clan, there's even more. <laughs> but uh, the fact of the matter is, it's because I feel like I'm, I'm the little boy who noticed that the emperor has no clothes. I'm not afraid to say um, that this is a problem. It's a problem. And many times when I have spoken, many times, I have women, it's always women, who say to me, I don't know why you're allowed to speak poorly about Klai Yisrael. And I said, I'm in good company. Yishayon Anavi, Yimiyon Anavi, Yechezkel Anavi. They all had a lot of things to say about Klai Yisrael. They were unpleasant. Yeah, the Bali Musser, Victor Miller. There's <laughs> a long list of people who've pointed it out. And in fact, I do a Menshmir Salashin here in Harnov. Um, there's a uh, women's Shmir Salashin that I've spoken at on occasion. One time I was, I was banned because I was, I was too funny. But uh, it's a more serious adventure. It stands somewhat somber. <laughs> 
I brought my friend Y.Y. Rubenstein to speak, and I introduced him. Between my introduction and his talk, we were both banned. <laughs> and he's still a little bitter about it. Um, and uh, maybe we'll play the clip for you <laughs> that he recorded for my birthday about it. But um, uh, the... Um, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, I do with the Menschmer solution. And I've gotten unbelievable names of people to come and speak. I mean, really, really, very, very chosh of a chosh of people. And the one person I was trying to get was with Vulman, who was the Mashkiach and Or Sameach, and uh, the founder of the Jewish Observer. I mean, just a tremendous chosh of individual. And he kept making excuses. I was smart enough to know when he was pushing me off, yeah. And I said, Rebbe, why won't you come? And he said, because I'm afraid that the emphasis on Shmir Salashin is being used to silence legitimate social criticism. I think that's an unbelievable concept. There are things that have to be said. People are afraid. People are afraid to point out any problems. And I've had people yell at me and say, oh, you, you're just negative. You see all the bad. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. Everything's terrific. Yeah, was wonderful. Yaakov Horowitz, uh, who was the founder of Project Yes, he wrote an article once, and I thought really summed it up beautifully. He says, when people ask me how Klaus is doing, I say it's like a chasana. If you're in the middle circle dancing with the chasana, it's unbelievable. When you reach the next circle, it's still pretty good. People are dancing, people are into it, they're smiling. You reach the third circle with the old men, which is where I am. Then you shuffle. You just shuffle along. Sometimes you don't even move. You just undulate back and forth. Yeah, that's the, that's the, then the next circle of people just standing around. And then there's the people sitting at the tables. Then there are the people outside smoking, talking on their cell phones. And they're concentric circles, which means that as each circle gets larger, there's more people involved. So if you're in the central, central circle, everything looks great. I'm in the next circle, and I'm always looking over my shoulder at everybody else. I was a mashkiach in a yeshiva during a particularly dark period of my uh, life. And, uh, you know, the whole hanhala used to sit on the mizrach. And I would sit there and be very choshev, and I sat in the back. And they'd say, oh, you're the mashkiach? She said, up front. I said, I'm the mashkiach, I should sit in the back. I want to see what's going on with the guys who are hanging around in the back. I don't care all the chashuvim who are sitting in the Mizrach. That, does, that doesn't impress me. I don't need to be there. I need to be over here with the guys and see what's going on. So that's uh, perhaps I see life from a slightly different perspective than everybody else does. You know, there's a famous word I say over with Yisrael. Well, Yisro says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, this is a terrible thing. People have to wait, come and speak to you, etc., etc., but what does Rashi say? It says, We learn from Moshe Menu. So he didn't spend the whole day judging the people. It was Shah Achas. And Shah Achas can mean less than an hour, it can mean a short period of time. But Yisra Sur, people aren't happy campers. Some people are thrilled to wait online. These people were not thrilled to wait online. So Yisra Sur, the he didn't see what should be, he saw what was. And he, based upon that, he said, these people aren't willing to sit and wait, to, even for the schus to be able to speak to you, Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a sad commentary, but it's something that you see. Yeah. So, um, uh, so that being the case, uh, 
I, uh, I want to speak. We lane Pashas Tetzava this week. What's Pasha Tetzava about? The first half of it. First half of it is the big day kahuna. And Akash Baruch Hu tells Moshe that we're going to make begodim for Aaron lechavayd ulisifaris for honor and glory. Clothes are a very important concept in the Torah and in Klai After they eat from the eight sedas tovara, after evil has entered inside of them, the first thing they do is make clothes. The Torah begins with chesed and ends with chesed, say the Chazal. How does it begin with chesed? When he kicks them out of Gan Eden, he makes them clothes. Beged is from the Lashon of Boged, to rebel, traitorous. Because if we didn't go against the Kosh Baruch we wouldn't need clothes. Lovesh is from the Lashon Malbush, from the Lashon of Busha, embarrassment. By putting on clothes, we're able to get back to what we were. The begodim of the Kohen Gadol were the, according to Rabbeinu B'chaya, brings the Medrash, were the begodim that a Kodesh Baruch Hu made for Adam Arishan when he kicked him out. So these begodim that were passed down, that Esav would wear and that Yaakov put on in order to be able to go serve his father, were the begodim of the Kohen Gadol. Because when you put on these clothes, you recaptured what it meant to have a tzuras adam, to be a human being, have a human experience. It's an amazing thing, right? The famous Gemara with Rabbi Kiva and Tonus Rufus says, "Whose creation is better, God's or man's?" And he says, uh, "Man's." He says, "What?" He says, "Would you rather eat wheat or bread?" So we fix it up and make it better. Kumuvan, that's only after the Chet of Adam Rishon. Before that, the bread grew on the trees. Yeah? If it was a darkwood tree, it was pumpernickel. If the tree had a hole in it, there were bagels. A little donut bush off to the side, you know what I mean? Everything grew there already. You didn't have to be metaking it. But now, after the Chet, things are messed up. We didn't need clothes before the Chet of Adam Rishon, but now the clothes are the only thing that lets us get it back. I don't know if anybody will appreciate the reference. Um, when I was a kid, I used to read comic books, mostly because of the scientific and uh, historical information that I found uh, contained in them, which I found absolutely fascinating. But that's what can I do? I was into superheroes. I was into superheroes. I wasn't, Baruch Hashem, I was never one of those richy rich kids, you know, or Archie. Those people really, they need to be, they need a lot of help. But, but superheroes, that was something that that added to our lives, you know? In blackest day and brightest night, no evil will escape my sight. Let those who worship evils might beware my power, green lantern's light. I once had a review who said to me, Orlovsky, if only you could learn to use your mind for good instead of evil, imagine what you might be able to accomplish. <laughs> and so I've taken that to heart, and I always try to think, if there's something there, maybe there's something I can learn from it. So there was a comic book I used to read called The Fantastic Four. It was Reed Richards, who was Mr. Fantastic, and he could stretch very far. That was his power. Uh, there was his wife, Sue. She could turn invisible and create a force field. Uh, there was Sue's brother, Johnny Storm. 
um, who was the human torch. He could turn into fire and he could fly because fire is light, etc. you know, and shoot fireballs and things. And then there was Ben Grimm, who turned into this big rock guy called The Thing, who, interestingly enough, was one of the few Jewish characters in the Marvel Universe. Stan Lee, who himself was Jewish, uh, he made this observation once. He says, yeah, of course Ben Grimm is Jewish. Didn't you ever pick, figure that out? He came from Delancey Street in the Lower East Side. You know, yeah, he, had, he thought to him there was push it, yeah. Um, anyway, so these are the Fantastic Four. So something happened, and they lost their powers. They lost their powers. So Reed Richards, who is this brilliant uh, scientist, made things they could wear that would mimic their powers. It wasn't as good as their powers, but it could mimic their powers. And when they put it on, they were Ke'ilu, the Fantastic Four. When the Kohanim put on their begodim, and again, go to the Malbim Ramazeh Big Day Kahuna, and he explains how the four begodim, the, the average Kohen had four begodim, and the Kohen Gadol had eight begodim, and how they represent the four lower levels of the soul and the four higher levels of the soul and how they correspond. And there's all kinds of powerful ideas from it. But... Uh, but by putting on the begadim, we can regain that level. That's that very strange Gemara, where it says that after they cut the skin off of Bishmol, Kohen Gadol's face, they saved it as a mask. And once every 70 years, they would take somebody who was handicapped and have him put on the mask and dress him up in the clothes of the Kohen Gadol, and march them through the streets of Rome. Because they understood that all they could do was mimic us, like Esav mimicked Yaakov, and pretend to be the Kohen Gadol, but they could never actually be it. They could take our face, they could take our clothes, but they will never take our freedom! <laughs> Sorry. But they, uh, they, they never can become us. They can never become us. And, uh, and the begadim are the means for us to be able to do it. There's an emotional issue, because in Judaism, everything's an emotional issue. And now, Baruch Hashem, the rest of the world is caught up, and everything is an emotional issue. Yeah? A Native American walks up to a group of kids who are waiting for their bus and starts banging his, his tom-tom in their face, and the kid just sits there without doing anything, and he's an aggressor. He's an aggressor. They, 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 he gets death threats. We have to kill this kid. Yeah? Because he stood there while someone came up to him to, uh, to abuse him and he didn't say anything or do anything. Anyway, um, so now everybody, everything's a sensitive issue. A very sensitive issue. Now, I know this when, uh, when people go out dating. You know, does he wear a hat or not? Does he wear a hat or not? Yeah? I had this once where someone said to me, what's the boy's hashkafa? I said, what do you mean? Does he wear a hat or not? I said, that's not a hashkafa, that's a head covering. You know? It, it, yeah, but it represents hashkafa. Yeah, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. You know, Rabbi Riskin, the rub of Efrat, wears a Hamburg. I, I don't think he's, you know, representative of uh, Haredi philosophy just because he's wearing a Hamburg. Yeah? A hat is a head covering. Can it represent something? Sure it can. And there are people who get very emotional. You know, about what they're wearing, what they're not wearing. Does he wear a hat? Does he not wear a hat? They put on a hat. 
Yeah. You hear girls who say, I wouldn't wear that skirt. They could throw me out. I wouldn't wear that skirt. I said, think for a moment of the ramifications on your life. <laughs> You're thrown out of school. No other school is going to take you, you know. You're going to be a big mess. You're going to want to get married one day. You're going to want to get on your life. And all of this over a skirt? Is it worth it? And, you know, my daughters would always say to me, Abba, you don't get it, and I don't. Don't. They'll say about a particular skirt, because I can't wear that, it's not me. I said, it's no, it's not you. Of course it's not you. You are an organic-based life form, and that's an article of clothing. But unfortunately, women don't understand where they begin and their clothes, you know, where they end and their clothes begin. They, they see it as, as, you know, something... There's a symbiotic relationship between them that they take it over. Yeah, it's an organic suit that becomes part of them. And uh, the clothes have to be them. Just be them. Now, to be fair, it takes guys a while until they find a particular suit. But once they do, they will wear that suit until it disintegrates on their body. Till there's nothing but suit molecules holding it together by pure will. Yeah, and they don't want to go buy another one. <laughs> this one was my suit. It was perfect, yeah. But, uh, you know, but this idea of, like, you know, the, the, the clothes have to define me. So, uh, so I told you, I, I gave you the warning at the beginning. If you would like to tune out now, that's fine. Yeah. But, uh, but if you're here with me, you're, you're here for my wild ride, okay? I would like to share with you what I call the big lie of sneers. And I know nobody ever hears about sneers. It's one of those topics we almost never talk about. Here's the big lie of sneers. <laughs> and everybody uses this line. You can be attractive, just not attracting. Now, what do those two words have in common? The word attract. <laughs> Whether you are attractive or attracting, it means the same thing. You are wearing this outfit to attract attention. So whether a man will turn his head and follow you down the street. Or whether he'll say, oh, there's an attractive woman. It works out the same way. It is designed to make you attractive. Now this is, I'll tell you why everyone says this lie. Everyone says this lie because, I'm gonna tell you a terrible story. <laughs> it's not any less true for its terribleness, but it's a terrible story. I had a daughter who went to Ofakim. Ofakim is, you know, for people, who are looking for an extremely intense religious experience. And the Rebison told the following story. He says, my daughter would get, used to get on the bus, and it was packed already by the time she got on. And uh, she never had a seat. And one day she comes home and she says, Ema, today I got a seat. Says, my eye, what happened? Says, Yeshiva Bacha stood up and gave me a seat. And I said to her, how did he see you? Let's take a moment to reflect on this, because this is such a disturbing story. <laughs> because what it means is that Sanua means that I don't want people to notice me. And we want people to notice us. That's why people dress very often the way they do. I had a student once who used to dress very fancy and often inappropriate. <laughs> And she said to me, I think it's a Kiddush Hashem when people see an attractive from girl and say, look at that attractive from girl. 
gave her seven children over to die. <laughs> but I was like that story of the girl who pinned her skirt to her thighs when they dragged her through the street. <laughs> her skirt. Mom was the same exact thing. Listen, I used to teach in a particular seminary, and I don't teach there anymore. And one of the reasons were that they were upset that, you know, I, I would mention the subject of Sneas. And I would mention that, you know, you don't want to dress in a way that boys will look at you. And I was told you're not allowed to say that. That is called the Sod of Tznias. I hope you realize that I'm breaking this here in this video right now. Yeah, so there should be a warning label on this one. I'll tell the producer, yeah, warning, do not watch this if you don't want to find out the Sod of Tznias. Yeah. So you're not allowed to mention that. The only reason we dressed Sanua is for levels of Kedusha and for, you know. So I said to this particular woman who taught in a seminary, I said, I hear what you're saying. So how come I see the girls in your seminary two years after seminary and they all dress terribly? So whatever you're doing to teach Tznias is not working. And she said to me, you're right. But that's the way we do it. Yeah? I told this story once, I think. There was a shiva today. He's a shiva. He was a bacher in there. He's from Baltimore. And he put a sign on his door. Whoever gives the best answer to this question will win a case of beer. The question was, why? I said, so who won the case of beer? I said, the best answer was, because that's how we did it in Europe. Yeah? That's it. That's what we do. Everyone does what everyone does, because that's what everybody does. Yeah? That's what we do. I don't want to teach Sneas in a way that will be effective, because that's not our mahalach, so I will talk around it. And so people don't understand it. And people will think it's okay to dress in a way that men will look at you and say, well, there goes an attractive woman. I don't want to dwell on this. I just felt like this is something that needs to be said because I know nobody else will say it. That's the reason you watch this podcast. You watch this podcast because you're always wondering each week, it's like watching somebody on a, on a high wire without a net. What's he going to do this week? <laughs> How long does he go on like this before the cold calories go up? <laughs> but they can't put up a cold calorie on me because I'm on the internet and no one's supposed to be watching it anyway. Anyway, there was once an Isser against iPhones. <laughs> there was this video of the guy reading the cold calorie off of his iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> to the T-boy. He didn't have a copy, so he read it off his iPhone. <laughs> yeah. But this is it. It's something to consider. I'm not here to preach. I always, when I used to teach, I always used to say, this is a value-free zone. I'm not trying to sell anything. I just want people to think, just to think, yeah, what's the goal? Do, do, am I a small child who has to stand up and say, mommy, look at me, look at me, look at me. Mommy, look, I'm going to jump at the book. Mommy, you're not watching. Mommy, look at me. Do I need people to look at me? I don't. Just pay me. I don't care if you look at me or not. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. But, uh, but this is something for us to consider. We read about the Kohen Gadol and the Kohanim and their special Begadim, and we understand the power that the Begadim have to re help you regain your humanity. Let's look at this parasha. Let's think about how I can dress in a way that will allow me to regain my Dignity, a word that means nothing anymore today. I remember when I said this once at the Women's Shemir's Alush and I was talking about Sneers, you know, I mentioned dignity and my girls, nobody ever heard of the word dignity. We don't even know what that means anymore. Yeah, to, to get back our sense of dignity, not that we're going to allow ourselves to be debased. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much to our sponsors. I hope this inspires somebody. 
And if you want to find out more about this show, go to rebbyolaski.com slash podcast. And if you want to find out about this particular episode, rebbyolaski.com slash podcast slash 19. If you want to find out about upcoming events, rebbyolaski.com slash events. And if you would like to contact me, it's rebbyolaski.com slash contact. And if you would like to sponsor an event, yeah, you're going to have to wait a little bit because they're sponsored for the next few weeks, but you can go to rebelaski.com slash podcast and click on uh, sponsor an episode. That's it for this week. This is Rebel Davidolowski. This is Rebel Show. Thank you so much for watching and for listening. Mm-hmm.